right. Can you hear me okay, Dale? Yeah, that's good. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, I'm making a makeshift. I don't have my stand with me, so I'm just trying to put it at the right distance for you. All right. So let me see where you guys are. See you. Hey, Nick. Thanks, man. You got it, Kurt. <laughs> Long time coming. Yeah, I know. I got to find my, Oh, I just buried all my stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So do our best here. This is my first time using the Hangout thing. So, um, Anthony, you got to tell us how to record this on the Hangouts because we're going to actually try that for our nonprofit stuff we're trying to do, if you don't mind, uh, at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Tyler's, Tyler's recording it now. Um, is that what's going on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just so, trying to figure out the best way for we're gonna to try to do this ourselves with some things that we're putting on, some workshops, but anyway. We're gonna to... uh, But so. the way you do mm -hmm. it is you basically start the meeting and then um once everyone has joined, you press the bottom right and then there's a there's three dots that are going vertically and you tap on it and then it says on the very top it says start recording. Okay. Yeah, yeah. and oh, then yeah, and then once you're done, you'll hit stop record, and then the odd, and then that video file will go right into the uh, to the Google Drive of the uh, of the account you're using. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah, we're gonna tr we're actually gonna experiment with that this afternoon. But thank you, I appreciate the tips because yeah, that'd be easiest for us. Mm -hmm. All right, yeah. Nick, I know you're busy, man. You're home on your lunch break, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm painting a restaurant <laughs> up the street. So yes. What's that? You're doing what? I'm painting a restaurant. A restaurant uh, about probably about. 15 minutes away. Oh, that's they're, convenient. Yeah. They're Ooh. not running any food I, I guess, through I, the dining room. I guess. Yeah. Right. I guess you have, this is the time to do those things, right? There's nobody. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I went to my office building. They locked up all the staircases, which I think is against fire code. They had them all blocked off because they're painting all the stairwells. And I'm like, wait, wait a second, guys, you can't do that. Really? Just leave the elevator. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> I think that's against fire code, but okay. <laughs> There's literally like three people in the whole building probably at that point. Yeah. So yeah, this is a great. Yeah, so, so in some ways that might be good for you, right? No, it's it's. Uh, I almost feel a little guilty because of huh. the amount of work that's coming my way. Because I'm yeah. still on my own. I'm not. I don't right. have a team, and right. uh, we have a tight community here. So huh. people know who I am. I'm trusted, and it allows me to get probably a lot more opportunities than some of the bigger painting places around here. Oh, uh, you know, I got to find my timer on my. You know, I usually use my phone for my timer. I apologize. Let me. Uh... I got to do something here. Okay. Cause you guys may have to give me a countdown so I don't screw this up here. Because we're, we're trying to do about 11 to 12 minute segments. Mm -hmm. And that's the goal. And why is this? Uh, I'll just do it this way. Do I need to set a timer on my end? Two? Yeah, I'm going to set. I think I have it here. As long as the screen doesn't shut off, I think I'll be all right. All right. I think I'm good. All right, man. I guess I'm ready whenever you are. So we'll. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'll just read off your intro here, and we'll kind of go through your background, and we'll let it go wherever it goes. There's a lot to talk about, obviously. So, sure. um, I don't think we're gonna have any shortage of subject matter. So, no. <laughs> I'll just let you go, man. All right. Yep. So, whenever everybody's ready, Tyler, you ready? Yeah, I'll count you down. So, three, two, one. Good morning, and welcome back to another edition of Master Your Finances, presented by Certified Wealth Management and Investment. I am Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional located in Princeton, New Jersey. I can be reached through our website, which is www.cwmi, 
us, or you can call me directly at 609-716-4700. This week, we're very pleased to have with us. Oh, hey, Nick, let's start over, man. You want to know how to pronounce my last name? (laughs) (laughs) I meant to ask you that. We're going to have to start over. Sorry, yeah, how do you pronounce it? It's like goldlish or like goldfish. Goldlish? Goblish. Oh, okay, like delish, like goblish. Yeah, exactly. Okay, sorry. That's Gob. Right. Okay, goblish. Sorry about Storm that. All right, sorry. We got to start over. No, that's um, fine. All right, just let me let me know. Goblish, got it. <laughs> okay. So three, two, one. Good morning, and welcome back to another edition of Master Your Finances, presented by Certified Wealth Management and Investment. I'm Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional located in Princeton, New Jersey. I can be reached through our website, which is www.cwmi.us, or you can call me directly at 609-716-4700. This week, very pleased to have with us Nick Goblish, who after graduating with a Bachelor of Arts degree in 1998, and deviating from his father and grandfather's careers as doctors, he felt design, radio, and video production was a solid long-term strategy. Unfortunately, like most artists, without the proper encouragement and guidance, he soon fell into a day job far away from his college education. However, his ambition carried him, and he excelled. Deep down, he knew that someday he would record uh, influential audio and videos content that would capture the attention of others. Unfortunately, that time would have to wait. Fast forward 25 years after rising to the ranks of an HR corporate executive, a side project to produce um, instructional and promotional videos for a friend's business reignited that artistic passion for leaving a mark on the world with expressive media content. Following this, in January 2015, he launched the Dependent Independent Podcast, approaching his 40s with two small children. It was a perfect, uh, lazy excuse to not make new friends. He decided to use podcasting to reconnect with those around him when building new meaningful relationships became so hard to do. Using simple storytelling with people with clear points of view, he was able to do so what was so easy to do in his childhood. He made friends that meant something. He rediscovered himself and made the decision that helping others find the same self-discovery through their authentic expression Expressive audio and video was calling. Over the past five years, he has worked with other uh, creators and entrepreneurs to become their best self with their online media and launched Dependent Independent Broadcasters uh, LLC as a side project in early early uh, 2019. He has since pursued a passion for house painting and uh, founded I Heart Painting in 2019 as a solopreneur in South Jersey. He's been able to use an uh, entire toolkit he's put together with dependent, in, uh, dependent independent uh, productions and his experience with self-marketing and branding to build a different type of painting company where passion drives the final product rather than just hard work. With this uh, year-long entrepreneurial launch from a uh, nine-to-five grind, still channels that artistic um, within to use the power of content to increase profits and opportunities during this challenged uh, economic today economy today. Yeah, wow. Nick, I know, man. I heard you speak at the podcasters convention we had. I guess it's been a little over a year now at this point. But, um, I I mean, I found it pretty amazing, your story. Uh, If you want to go back into a little bit uh, in detail, you 
you're a very successful HR executive. Um, yeah. Yes, I was. And, you know, the, 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 you know, what people uh, subscribe to be success, so to speak, if you took out the balance sheet, it looked pretty good. But there's that other side of it, which uh, I think a lot of us, and, I, and I'm a big believer in this personally, is that, you know, success is not just the dollars that, you, that are coming in the door. No. It's, it's your how you feel about your life. And when you get up in the morning, you're excited to get out there and go do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, most people find satisfaction in life learn to understand those, those priorities that, that the dollar sign is, is not the first priority. It's, it can be kind of the, uh, the product of what your passion is, but it's, you don't want that to be your passion, so to speak. Right. So okay. what, what did you discover through that? And, and HR is interesting because HR actually involves dealing with a lot of other people too. So what did you learn through all that? Well, one thing, <laughs> one thing I learned is I prefer to be by myself. That's one thing I learned. <laughs> Okay. It's what's so weird when you have a job, when you, it's very different doing what I do now compared to what I do, I did before is my day revolved around interacting with people and being very good at engaging and communicating with people, sending the right message, which is really, really important now. I know there's a lot of HR managers and HR teams out there that are being pushed and stressed by their company leaders because they have to design communications that make sense. And speak to the employee because now is not the time for um, mixed messages or spins. You have to really get down to the facts. The career I had as an HR person, I kind of fell in it by accident because it's not something I, in studying art, it's not, it's the only career I think, at least at the time. Now art is very, very big now with the access to design applications and the ways people can create things. And we had, when I was in school, we didn't have websites like Pinterest where you can see uh, other artists and what they can do and Instagram and all these visual mediums that you can see what other people do. The only art examples we had were what's, what was in books, art history. If you went to a museum, if you walked around your town, sat in a coffee shop for two hours and looked at the paintings that were hanging on the walls that were sometimes over way overpriced. But when I graduated college, it was odd because I think they they created a I was part of a fine arts, liberal arts, fine arts program. But I remember during my graduation, they actually made the announcement they were making graphic design and a major, which I thought, damn, I missed I missed that. I missed the four years of that. That would have been great. And I looked into some internships and some things that I thought that would kind of tickle my fancy in regards to getting all, taking all the skills that I've learned and actually putting it into practice. I had sold some small art uh, items that paintings, I made some, I, my medium was uh, sculpture. I designed things out of particle board because one, it was cheap. And two, I could fit it in the back of my girlfriend's station wagon because I could just get a five by eight piece and make whatever I wanted with it. But when I graduated, I went back to my summer job. I worked at a racetrack in central Jersey and Went online looking for jobs and saw some jobs that had said things like advertising and sales. And long story short, I spent two years uh, doing door-to-door sales all across the country for one of these multi-level marketing companies. Uh, promised you riches, showed you brochures with people driving Ferraris and told you that you do all the hard work now, you don't have to do it later. And yeah, right. a lot of, I mean, <laughs> majority of it, majority of it was BS. I've, when I yeah. mentioned my podcast, I did a whole series on on those kind of a three parter on on that journey, and and I've since actually reconnected with some people I work with that have, we're always good friends, but now we're outside of that mucky muck. I'm able to really 
build good relationships with these guys without having the this kind of umbrella of the business teaching you what you should and shouldn't do. So 2000 was a pivotal point because I knew one, I was terrible at sales. No one wanted to buy from me when I was knocking on doors. But what I was really good at is training people how to do that and building people's confidence. So I was always, not that it was a curse, but in the sales industry, I think looks are a lot of things. But the most of the people that were not confident were those people that didn't quite fit maybe, let's say, an aesthetic that you'd want walking up to your door and knocking on your door. So mm -hmm. I was, my team, went, I was stuck with those guys and girls. So uh, it was, it made me humble knowing that looks aren't everything. Not that they were, but in that environment, uh, some of the most successful people in my office were the, you know, the 6'2 guys and the, the attractive women that, that uh, uh, went out and were confident in who they were. At least they appeared to be. But it was a great accomplishment for me to actually work with people and be a good student of what they were teaching me and then be able to teach others. But I knew in 2000 that wasn't for me. And I ended up just simply packing up my car. I was in Chicago at the time and moved in with my wife and her parents, which was great. I look back. I, uh, when we mentioned my podcast, my podcast is a personal journal. So uh, if anyone's interested in learning any more detail about this story, feel free to go back and download my podcast. The time I spent there, uh, my in-laws pushed me to get a job, just like anyone else. Uh, I wanted to impress my in-laws. None of my family felt that what I did door to door was legitimate. So then started the search of finding jobs that were legitimate. And my father-in-law was a plumber in Atlantic City, had a lot of experience in how things worked there. And we were only about 15 minute drive away. And I started commuting there and finally got a job as what they called an HR rep where you would screen employee candidates. And in the sales job that I had, most of my job was not only training, but also trying to hire people. So you take people out, knock on doors for eight hours, you get really good at having a conversation with somebody for eight hours, really getting to know them. So I thought if you were gonna ask me to do an interview in 10 minutes, piece of cake, absolute piece of cake. So that's pretty much where my HR career started. And I've always been of the mindset act as if because I was a manager in the sales organization that I worked for, I acted like I was the manager and people saw that and I presented myself well, I communicated well, articulated myself well. I had good customer service, I was kind, I listened and eventually that just started steamrolling into job after job after job, but always a job where I was sought out by someone and that it was always a step up. I can't remember any time in my career where I actually had to hunt for a job. It always led to how I put myself out there led to someone saying something to someone saying, hey, this is a guy you want to hire. So when you mentioned before, Kurt, about success, and I feel I was excelling is I was good at something that people saw. Now, it was a time in my life where I didn't think, I didn't believe them. There was a lot of self-learning that I've, and self-discovery over the last five, six years. But back then, I just simply thought more money, my paycheck went up, my in-laws were happy with me, my wife was happy with me, and it was more responsibility because I got bored real easy if the challenge wasn't there. But that was great, and that went on for uh, two decades. And then uh, what started changing is, uh, and really a pivotal point was the recession, when I spent my whole career being the guy that's there to help people, like I mentioned, all those other HR managers that are doing right now, and I became the grim reaper for three years. Mm. So I worked for a large retailer that no longer exists, but during 2000, started in January, 2008 and lasted up through 2000, beginning of 2012. 
uh, when I got laid off, I myself was I was the guy. I was the guy organizing 100 people layoffs and had to be executed within four hours and designing all the company communication and telling people that make twice as much as I, I did what to do, what to say. And I did it in the mindset of being as empathetic as I could because I needed to understand that that message sucks because I remember the first time I gave that message, that was really difficult. But also asking someone that doesn't do it every day because we had so many people to talk to at the same time to be able to empathize and teach them how to say it. And again, it's still scratch that itch of really enjoying how to, number one, connect with people in a way that would help them, but that teaching and training and, and guidance, which to me, that was satisfying to me. But once I, my skin got pretty thick through 2008, 9, and 10, uh, I started doing some questioning of my long-term strategy for that career. Even though I was going up all the time, I started somewhat really behind the scenes saying, is this something I really want to do? Do I want to be that guy? Because I felt that my career for doing something that long, I identified with that. You know, we all look at what we do and say, this is, he's a carpenter or he's a businessman or, but are they really, really? Like, is that right. something who they are? And I didn't, again, I didn't realize it till nearly seven, eight years later, or four or five years later, it's just understanding that I didn't want that. I didn't want something like that, that bad time to define me. And I knew it was going to happen again. And I knew my fate was I'd be sitting across from somebody another 15 years from now going through that same thing because I was good at it, Kurt. You know, who wants to right. be good at that? But yet I looked at it thinking, you know what? I think I'm going to uh, have to think of a different career path. No, I agree. I mean, it sounds like uh, you, you brought up an image of Norm of Cheers. I remember that episode when Norm oh, was the, the person worst. that had to go lay everybody off. It's the, be it's and the worst he, and the best episode. <laughs> and he started off uh, being the empathetic guy that went and took him out to lunch. But now uh, later in the episode, they started talking about how uh, everybody got traumatized when they found out that Norm was going to ask them out to lunch. So you just brought that image of all of a sudden you had to be, and anytime somebody was going to talk to you, you were, you went from being the guy that was hiring to now you're the guy that has to kind of let them go. And I'm assuming that over a period of time that had to have an emotional uh, stress on you. I would yeah, think at least I know it would me. I masked it off pretty well, Kurt. There were even yeah. articles that were putting, being put out during that time of what about the HR? Is anybody thinking about the HR person? But when you provide someone a job, you provide self-worth. And when you right. take a job away from someone, and again, that wasn't my, at the time it wasn't my decision. I eventually, it was put in those positions where I had to decide who, who came and right. who went. And I thought that was even, ugh. But again, right. I got good at it. And then being good at something no one else wants to do makes you marketable. Right. People will right. pay you for it. Wow, Nick. Uh, I appreciate that. We're, uh, we're coming up on the break here. Um, you're listening to Master Your Finances. Oh, we're going to be right back. Good job, Nick. <laughs> I, I understand, Kurt. How many how many sections? Because I'm trying to break it up in the in the four size. Okay, good. Three more. Okay, I got you. Yeah, we end up with roughly about forty three to forty five minutes of recording time. <clears throat> All right, I got Total. you. I can, I can, I got four more spots, three more spots. Oh yeah, I'm yeah. I've, I've heard you talk. I know you're good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Do you ever watch? Uh, you're you like a read, pro, man. Do you ever read the? Strength Finders 2.0. You ever read those books, that book specifically? No. What's it called? It's called Strength Finders. It's a good exercise for yourself and if you have a team 
what it does is people focus so much during performance reviews and feedback on telling people what they're doing wrong and what they need to do right. Right. And this one focuses on a quick evaluation of would you do this or that over, I think, 25 questions. And then they spit out a list of strengths, things hmm. that based on your decisions that you would perceive to be good at, tell you how to how to foster those strengths, how to manage someone with those strengths, and, and uh, uh, some examples. And when I took it, I took it three times, but overall, one of the ones is arranging. So I'm a very bucket person. Right. Even, even when I coach or direct someone on a video, I, I tell them that we fill up buckets and to keep them on, pat, on pace, you, you empty mm -hmm. each bucket. So what you've done is just, I just filled out, I just took one bucket which was my <laughs> HR career. Boom. There you right. go. <laughs> and now I'll talk about my podcast and then I'll talk about making the shift to entrepreneurship and then entrepreneurship. So, okay. All right. Sounds good. We'll get into that whenever they're ready over there. I'm sure they're getting ready. You guys almost set. Yeah. Ask me left. But, um, so and I'll just count you down. So in three, no, I oh. left because he just wanted to make sure we were doing it properly. Oh, okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah. So in three, Two, one. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Finances. I'm Kurt Baker here with uh, Nick Goblish, and uh, we just went through uh, an amazing story of how his acceleration, um, learning a lot about sales through uh, multi-level marketing, and that uh, the use of skill sets to transition into HR. Had a very successful career. Learned a lot about uh, working with people and managing people, but. That wasn't really your passion, right? You, what was your passion, Nick? You want to tell us about your passion and how you transitioned into that for us? Well, the I think create, creativity and, and creation was always something that even I spent much more time on in my corporate life than I did really sometimes even learning about and focusing too much on the balance sheet and the business is creating programs, anything from handbooks to intern programs to performance management programs to presentations. I always liked the way of taking images and content. And I even found a way to bring, create my own training videos on platforms. And I, I found myself always really excited doing that and completely uh, oblivious to what was happening around me. That whole idea that when you do something you love to do, it's not like work. And right. there, were, there were tidbits of that. So as I started doing some self-reflection, probably about six or seven years ago, I started realizing that there are things that I like to do at work and things that I don't like to do at work. So how can I find opportunities at work or anywhere to do things I'd like to do? Because I don't want to be bored. I want to be engaged and I want to have fun doing what I'm doing. But where are those aspects? And, and I mentioned previously that the company I worked for no longer exists and it wasn't immune to what was happening in the market. And uh, there was one individual, one friend of mine who I became friends with. He and I were both having, our wives were having kids at the same time. We both had interesting jobs that were stressful. His job was monitoring all the loss in the retail stores that the company owned, where he had to sit just like I did, had to terminate someone or lay someone off. He had to sit with people and have them confess of stealing $50,000 worth of apparel. And mm -hmm. That was a soul-sucking job as well, and we both had some common feelings about what we did. But he started scratching an entrepreneurial itch very early, and at the time, he was chasing a passion of starting a martial arts school. He had 
He was uh, a Marine at, uh, prior, I think, when I was in college. He was a Marine. Started understanding about the physical form, anatomy, the body, staying fit. And he started chasing martial arts. So he, I mean, he, Kurt, he flew out to uh, Thailand to learn Thai kickboxing. Like, oh my God. In, in those, I, I mean, to work with masters there, not like in gyms like we have here in the States, like these dirty mm -hmm. places where uh, he would go toe to toe, full contact, literally toe to toe with these people. And I thought, man, this guy is just going way out of his way to do things I would never do. But yet he's doing it because he's chasing something and he enjoys doing it. And he had the support from his wife and, and it was great. And uh, I started um, getting an interest to what he was doing. And I remember a distinct conversation where he was telling me, you know, Nick, I, I'm, uh, I had left that job. I had been laid off from that company and he eventually quit in his position to start his own martial arts business. He'd be doing it on the side in his basement, but he knew he needed to expand. And he said to me, you know, Nick, I, I'm doing really well. I have an accountant. She's great. I have a lawyer. They're great. I finally have a space. But the one thing I don't have is like marketing. I don't have video. I know YouTube's getting pretty big and, and all this. And I, and I dabbled in video production since I was in college. And that was, I studied that. So I always had a camera lying around and I said, Hey, I could, I could do videos for you. And, and that was a, a significant moment in my life because I, without hesitation, uh, never looked at offering that as something that would be work. It would be simply sharing something I knew how to do. And we spent about a year, a year building his one is making sure he was comfortable on camera and two, making sure that the content he was providing looked good. You know, I had to invest in a, I had to invest in a uh, new computer. I had to invest in a lot of, stuff and software that I didn't have before that uh, eventually became part of my own toolkit. Oh, wow. That uh, I think, um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. I think that uh, it was a gift to me because I was able to find out uh, what I was made of because I hadn't used some of that equipment until back when I was in school. So about every two weeks I would drive to his studio about 45 minutes away and I would go and uh, record a video for him. He was not comfortable in front of the camera. So just like I trained all these people when I did sales on how to communicate and how to feel confident, I did the same thing with him 20 years later. And eventually he started putting out content which led him to drive his own revenue. And uh, that was fun to see. What wasn't fun was the fact that I was doing a lot of work and it was almost like a second job for me. Mm -hmm. And I, I, was I was doing it for a friend, but eventually I thought, you know what, I could probably do this and make some money. And he would push me to do that. And as I was kind of going through this evolution at work, realizing, is this the path I'm on? Suddenly I have my best friend who's an entrepreneur saying, hey, you should try this out. Maybe take on a few jobs on the side. And because my job and my HR career defined me, I thought, well, I can't do that. That's only going to take me away from what I do and excel at at work. Mm -hmm. But eventually uh, I came around and started diving in and really looking into that. The company I had currently worked for or in 2017 and 18 was a very entrepreneurial company. So 
I would have a couple conversations with some of the people that work there and ask some questions, but still wasn't ready to jump. I had mentioned to my wife a few times that it wasn't something, this wasn't something I felt I needed or I, I, I wanted to do the rest of my life. But when you were making the money that I was making, it's not easy to walk up to your spouse and say, hey, by the way, uh, I want to change this whole lifestyle because I'm not happy. Um, in the interim of, of doing this podcast, uh, doing these videos for my friend, uh, I'd listen to podcasts all the time over eight years. I had my, I actually, I'm looking at it right now. My old, my old iPod, uh, one mm -hmm. or two. And during that time of the recession and all that escaping and my long commutes was always something that was needed. So I listened to a lot of podcasts mm -hmm. and doing radio in college. I realized uh, that how did that conversation with your wife go? I mean, to me, that, I mean, you know, well, financial me, uh, conversation with a spouse yeah. in any, at any level is always uh, one of the biggest stressors in a marriage. Sure. And when you, come, when you approach your, your spouse and say, hey, honey, I mean, that, you know, I'd be curious if you could, wouldn't mind sharing a little more about that. Because that, that's one of the biggest fears I think a lot of people have when they want to make a, a change, whether they're going, especially when you're going from like a W-2, pretty secure position mm -hmm. into something that is really kind of, you know, out on a limb a little bit. And I think what you did was pretty smart is you, you, you kind of stepped into it, right? You did the side jobs. And I think that's really smart without well, I, giving up the other money. But you went from a very high level job, you know, to really kind of out there. Uh, and that's a big jump initially down. And then you got to build yourself back up. So yeah. how did that whole conversation go? Well, it wasn't by choice. In, in 2017, right. I would plant a lot of seeds with my wife because I'd come home knowing that I was, and this was, this was 2018. This was pre-life right. crisis, pre- you know, finding myself that I had planted seeds with my wife thinking that she would, I was almost looking for permission, Kurt, for her to say, okay. that's great. No, I know you're unhappy, but her family and how my mother-in-law and father-in-law being uh, public servants and my wife being a teacher, they sign up for a job that has a pension and it's long-term and you get through it and you reap the rewards when you're done. Uh, I had never been that way. That's not in my DNA. Mm -hmm. But I was confident, one, I could do things well if I put my mind to it. And two, if I give a good product and people will pay for it. And getting past that, if that was the other thing, Kurt, realizing that I could, you know, asking for money was a big thing. I had done all, all right. that work for my friend for free. So when I started, that was that took about six months to really understand, okay, this is what I'm going to charge people. But all this kind of happened all at once in 2018. I spent a, a week-long cruise in Alaska, walking on glaciers and fishing for salmon with my family. And it had been the first time in years that I had ever been away from work, like literally disconnected from work because we had no cell phone service, but focused on my family. When I said my job defined me, when I was at home, I provided and I was present, but I wasn't really that present with my family. But I go on this trip and I suddenly start enjoying really understanding what it means to enjoy company with your entire family. But I had anticipated the amount of depression I would feel the moment the trip was done because then I knew in my head I had to go back to where I didn't want to be. And that's, that was really difficult. That was a tough time that it wasn't so much of saying that you didn't want to do it anymore because even the podcast and production services that I was providing, Kurt, that wasn't, when you tell your family that that's what you're going to do to put food on the table, they don't know what mm -hmm. that is. They have no idea. Right. And that's not, to me, it's truly not as legitimate as you might think. I mean, you and I know some powerhouses out there that make a living doing that, but they're in a different level. For me to do that, 
because my business model is simply making your content, you look better through your content or you sound better through your content, leaning on those coaching skills that I have. And I hit this bout of depression that, that overwhelmed the family. I mean, what killed me is I'm driving with my son and my son looked at me and says, dad, why are you so unhappy? And my kid, my son had never said that. And I communicate with my kids and I just needed, I needed to dig myself out of this hole and my podcast reflected that at the time. So I started reaching out to business leaders and people that I knew, other entrepreneurs. I had asked over that whole year of entrepreneurs, you know, how did you do it? How, how does it feel? And my wife would hear me having these conversations with these guys and girls, but she, I don't think she liked it because she knew it, was, it wasn't secure. And fast forward after finding ways to cope with everything, uh, I started digging myself out of this hole and realizing that I need to get out. I need to do something different. Well, in all that depression and all that anxiety, my work started suffering drastically. And and between, it's very hard for me, Kurt, to, to hide how I feel, even through my face. And my boss at the time, the CFO at my company, he was he had known me prior to this and knew me, even listened to my podcast. So he knew that I wasn't going to survive there at the company and the 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 environment was not ideal for me for, at any stretch, but it was just one of those environments that I knew years before that was just going to repeat itself over and over again. So luckily, to my um, to my to me that uh, they decided to lay me off at Christmas. So I was told about two weeks before Christmas that I was no longer needed there, and I'm telling you, it was one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me because. It was a push in a direction. I knew I'd get some severance, but I knew I'd have to do something. I didn't know what it was going to be. Maybe it was podcast production. Maybe it was something else. But not until after I was laid off and my wife really knew that I didn't want to do that anymore, that I didn't want to schedule any more interviews, that that was where the uh, that was where the uh, shoe dropped. And that was when the, f- the fight began to find something that I could do to support my family and, and do it for me without forgetting that, but also do it that I could keep my family whole. Wow, that's fantastic, man. Um, yeah, we, we're coming up on a break, but when we come right back, we're going to talk about now what you did next. It's amazing. You figured out that that wasn't the right thing, and now you are happy. So let's find out what you did next. We'll be right back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. Sorry, Kurt. <laughs> Great job, see. man. Okay, cool. All right. Now I'll just, I'll just do 2019. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think this is very apropos right now because I have a feeling there's a lot of people sitting at home wondering, well, is this really what I want to do for a living? Yeah. Because <laughs> they're chilling out. I think some people are learning, uh, doing a little self-reflection now, is my opinion. Mm-hmm. I hope they are. Um, you know, we're up to what, 13% unemployment or some crazy number like that from like essentially full employment. Yeah, I don't, so, um, that's it. It's, uh, I have a, my friend, best friend just got laid off the other day. Uh, my, the friend with that business that I helped start, he, he, <coughs> he went from doing martial arts to sports conditioning with soccer teams. And now that kids aren't playing sports, he can't run his business dang. and he's on just his income. So I mean, right. luckily, I mean, and this whole thing, mind you, this whole thing, Kurt, my wife's a teacher, so she has a check coming in and health benefits, so right. makes it a little bit, 
a little bit easier. It does make it easier when you have two incomes and one's a W-2, pretty stable job. The other one can kind of go out there and do their thing, you know. <laughs> Helps a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it uh, – and we're, we'll talk more in this next segment about uh, money, you know. Yeah, money? Okay, we could do I that. Made, made a lot of money, but I can tell you this. <laughs> I spent a lot of money. Jesus. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy. It's really easy to spend it no matter how much you make. Mm-hmm. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, I've had, I've had, yeah, yeah, I've had right. people that I, I, I was trying to figure out how did they actually spend as much as they spent. <laughs> I was trying to actually wrap my head around that. Oh, <laughs> you actually do that. You have to actually like that's like a full time job to do that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a little tricky. People don't realize just how easy, um, how easy it is to do that. Work work up to your spend up to your income, right? It's a pretty uh, easy thing to do. Yeah, yeah I don't know. What, I hear something crackling in the background. I don't know if that's are you, that, that's me. Maybe that's you shifting. You have papers or something? I can just hear it. I don't know if you know that, but, but yeah, I know what you're saying. It's not. Well, Tyler said he, he was muting himself, right? So it's just. A, is it just the three of us now, Tyler? Anthony's yeah, not here. Three, yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe yeah, because we can hear. I think we can hear something on your end, Nick. When when you're moving. But I my microphone is. So can you hear it now? Well, it almost sounds like somebody's shifting in their chair or something. I don't know what it is. Oh, um, um, there's a lawnmower in the back, but I'll I'll be muting myself. I'm sorry. There's a lawnmower in the in the background. Of so, where of you? Yes. Oh, I don't hear anything over there now. No, just when we were recording before, I could hear um, it just like shifting or that's all I could hear. I don't know where it was okay. coming from. Interesting. It was pretty minor, but it was noticeable. All right, maybe it might have been because I was pulling my on the microphone. Maybe I'll just let it hang. Do I sound okay now? Yeah, yeah, you sound fine now. Yeah, it okay. was just yeah, um, that was really it. So, mm-hmm. all right, so I I'll just count you down if you guys are ready. Yeah, whenever you're ready, Tyler. Yep. All right, three, two, one. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Finances. I am Kurt here with Nick. And uh, Nick, you went on from your HR career, uh, starting a little podcasting on the side, which I think uh, helped you a lot with your uh, creative side. And it sounds like it helped you kind of work through um, almost like the mental health aspect of the fact yeah. that your job was not exactly what you uh, would like for it to be, so to speak. So mm-hmm. it sounds like it was almost like therapy for you as far as creativity and uh, helped you work out some of that. But ultimately, you figured out that uh, even though you were kind of um, forced into the layoff situation and find a new job. It was actually a blessing in disguise. So once you were kind of given permission and your, your family was on board, so to speak, um, what did you do next? What was your next step? Uh, the answer is nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, <fair enough. laughs> so I, I get laid off in 2018 and a lot of sympathy from everyone, but it wasn't my first time getting laid off. I always knew, and I always appreciated seeing this. If you follow LinkedIn, no matter what, every time I've ever let someone go, they always end up, they always end on their, end up on their feet. Mm-hmm. And it was always something I always knew in the back of my head. And then even through my career, how opportunities came to me as long as I worked hard and I kept moving forward. And in January of 2019, my wife realizing that I don't want to go back, it was, there were a lot of difficult conversations that we had where I'm not sure it was misunderstanding or or what if or between my wife and I, if I was 
if I'm happy, is it the expense of her happiness? Which I, one thing I really started getting into a lot more so was books on meditation, books on self-discovery, mindfulness. Spent a lot of time talking to people about those types of subjects. My podcast reflected that. Uh, I started reading a lot of books on understanding that the present is more important than the future. You can't predict the future. I started understanding where my anxiety came from, all the pressures I put on myself, and suddenly let the universe just do what it does, and things just started happening to me. So I would, there's no question that January 2nd, when New Year's was over, I was hustling on January 2nd, Kurt. I didn't stop doing what I wanted to do. I, I didn't just sit around and watch TV all day. These were, these were times that I worked, whether it be networking. I did some coaching on the side, which was great too, some business coaching. I met up with some entrepreneurs. I did as much networking as I possibly could. I guested on podcasts, any way to stay in the game. And then based on me sharing what I was doing, and again, the, the Dependent Independent Productions was an LLC at the time, and I thought, oh, it's going to blow up. It didn't quite blow up, but suddenly people were talking about me online. Someone would say, hey, I want to start a podcast. Who do I go to? Well, someone would recommend me on Facebook, and then, boom, I'm doing a four-episode launch of, of someone in Pennsylvania or someone in New York. But looking at that income coming in, it wasn't really something that wasn't really something that uh, was didn't seem that lucrative. I mean, it was almost shocking for the HR organization. I'm part of a local professional club. And I went there for the first time in February of 2019 as a podcast producer rather than an HR professional. As weird as it was for them, what was great about going there is that was the first time I went to one of those meetings that I was excited to talk about what I did. That's I hated, great. I hated going to those things where I had to, so what do you, they come up to you, so how are things? And everybody's like, yeah, they're great. Well, no, it was awful today. It was terrible today. I got reamed up on my CEO for the most ridiculous reason. I couldn't, he said something absolutely inappropriate and I couldn't call him on it. Like all these things that, that no one talked about, but it was exciting to be there. And months went by, uh, I, I made, uh, I actually started doing, a friend of mine gave me some consulting hours. He needed some help in his office. He's a great friend of mine. And I still do that to this day, help him out on the side. He needed some expertise and I get to help him with some of the administration. But that was great. I mean, again, an opportunity that just came to me without me asking. So I started making money from this consulting job and then I start making money for some small podcasting projects. In May of last year, I attended a networking event. We have a lot of wineries in the area where I live and a lot of breweries. And my finance guy at the time invited me for a networking event, a beer and wine tasting event. And I attended with a bunch of business cards in my pocket to promote my podcasting. There's a lot of business owners there. And I thought, great, it was an actual Chamber of Commerce networking event. So I'm handing these business cards out and trying to explain to people what I do. And it's always weird because, and not everyone needs a podcast. I think in this day and age, you need some online content, but not everybody should be behind a microphone and not everybody should be in front of a camera. But I'm kind of sitting across these two men chatting about construction. And this one man who I'd never met before says, you know, painters are really hard to come by. I can't, I just bought a house. It's hard for me to find a good painter. And I, I don't know what it is, Kurt, but without hesitation, I looked at him and said, I paint. Now I had mentioned painting during this whole time talking to you, 
but I had painted on the side since I was in high school. My wife had farmed me out to paint families, homes, nurseries, bedrooms, no matter what. I would, anytime someone said they needed a painter, I would offer to do it. To me, it was extra. It was something I was pretty good at. And it was something I wouldn't charge a lot of money for. Maybe I'd just say, feed me and give me a beer at the end of the day. That's fine. But this guy says, hey, it's a, it's a whole house. And at the moment I said, I said yes to this guy, Kurt, I was automatically backpedaling. Like, oh, I don't know. It depends. It might not be that, you know, I don't know. But I, I said yes. And, and he actually, I handed him my business card and said, if you're serious, just feel free to text me tomorrow. Now, whether there was part of me that thought, he's not going to text me. This might be just a conversation we had and it goes away. But nope, he texted me. He wanted his whole house, a 2,600-square-foot house to be painted. I'd never done anything like that before. I'd never priced anything like that before. But a fan of my podcast, actually, was a union painter. And he uh, offered to help. And I said, what do I charge this guy? And this is what it looks like. And here are the pictures. And he gave me a price. I gave the guy a price. He said, yes. I went back to my wife and said, honey, I'm going to paint this house. It's a, you know, it's an extra $6,000 we'll make. This will be great. And I started doing it. Uh, I learned a lot from that one project. One is that I'm so out of shape. My arms would hurt so bad at the end of the day that I would have to lay like, oh, God. I, I mean, I should have put Ben Gay all over my arms. But realized that sitting at a desk could definitely kill you if you're not, you don't work and you don't move around. But eventually, the landlord who sold him that house, or not the landlord, the realtor, referred me to, or I painted some work for him, some, uh, some spots in his house. Then I went and did another thing. And I thought, you know what? I started a podcast business. Why can't I start a painting business? Let me work on a logo. Let me work on a name. Uh, I mentioned earlier in one of the other segments that if you do something that other people don't want to do, they'll pay you for it. So I, as I started telling people that I was interested in painting and if they needed any help, they would say, well, I hate painting. So I thought, well, all right, cool. I name agree with company. that. Name my company is <laughs> I Heart Painting. So, cause I love painting and you hate painting. So there you go. Yeah. And eventually I used all the chops I built with marketing my podcast and all the creativity that I had in, in school and, and at my HR career and all the customer service I had to start building this brand, this marketing brand. And, and in May, May is going to be one whole year. Now I didn't, I never anticipated that I would be uh, painting all the time. I didn't anticipate that it would be something almost similar to the podcasting where I'd be a side job and I'd still do the consulting because deep down my wife definitely felt that that consulting piece was a, a solid, steady job. Even though it was, it was do some work, send him an email and get paid and invoice him for the hours. It was, it was the same thing as being an entrepreneur. But we trusted... He's a family friend of ours, and we trusted him, and we knew that was steady whenever he needed me. I mean, today he he reached out reached out to me today for help. But as I started building my reputation on Instagram and Facebook, things started really blowing up, Kurt. Like really blowing up, and you heard that at the at the conference sure. in September of last year that I went from being a this corporate guy sitting at a desk thinking that my world was already defined for me to now owning it. And being able to do what I like to do every day, every, every day, no matter how hard it is, and be able to share that with the world visually, which I was able to do with Instagram's great. Facebook is a great platform. But I was just like I did with my friend's business. I use video as much as I possibly can to promote my own business too. And build that, that image 
and separate, almost differentiate myself from other contractors because there's a lot of painters out there. But right now, I don't know how their, their phones are ringing, but my phone's ringing every week, which is great. I think you bring up something very interesting that, that we, uh, we talk about a lot when we go in our nonprofit talk to talk to kids about good mental health and things like that. And, and not everybody needs to be a doctor, a lawyer, or corporate guy. There's a lot of jobs out there. And I think we're all being, um, uh, we're all noticing that right now, how, you know, people that run grocery stores and truck drivers and um, a lot of this labor force out there is extremely necessary in our society. And I think, I think a lot of times people look down at that. And I think that's absolutely incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Because you've been on both sides of this. Well, I so think what are your lot- feelings about that? I think, Kurt, has a lot to do with optics. You don't see people that, at least I'll speak for Gen Xers. Um, I mean, uh, Gen Ys. I'm a Gen Xer, so I knew when it was without. I didn't have a cell phone. I made pay phone calls, and I sent resumes on parchment paper folded in an envelope. <laughs> but I think because social media and what's online is so accessible – you never see a someone who has a YouTube channel in a modest home. You never see anyone with um, uh, just modest means. And you only hear, back to your point when we started about success, of, you know, so-and-such got a corporate job, or so-and-such got an accounting job, or so-and-such got this. I, unless you're creating your own job, I don't think a lot of kids go to school to, they want to be picked up by big auditing firms and they don't want to, they want $85,000 when they graduate. I was raised on the mindset, get a job in the mailroom. Um, I earned every penny, Kurt. And I'll say that I earned, I worked my way up to show people that I was marketable and I was valuable. I did it out. I, I let people know outside before I realized it inside, but I think it's been quite some time, uh, in the making that I was able to help um, uh, people see that I, I could do X, Y, and Z and I'm worth this much money. But I think kids today think that wearing cufflinks and, and wearing a sharp suit is a way to do that. And I felt the same way too, to your point. I always looked kind of somewhat down at blue collar. I thought, geez, that sucks. Digging ditches all day. But when I realized there were times I would say at work, I'd rather be digging a ditch today than doing this than sitting in a room for two hours getting hammered by somebody, verbally hammered by somebody when I could be just outside working and doing that. That never happens now with what I do in my job now. I might have to deal with, like this week, I'm on a project that it took about three days for the customer to realize what color they needed. So I had to spend a little bit of money on samples. But other than that, those stresses aren't there. Now, now I, I think they might feel that that's a safe bet when you think about mindfulness and, and even way back when I, I tried to do something that I thought my in-laws would appreciate, I thought that would bring me peace, but it didn't. It, it, it didn't. It didn't bring me happiness. And why should I care what they think about what I do? I'm the one who has to show up every day. I mean, there was one point, I think, even with, um, I guess, it's doing what you have to do doing versus what you want to do. Sometimes doing what you have to do. Uh, is where you find the money doing what you want to do, right, Kurt? Oh, I want to be I want to be a gardener. Well, there's really not a lot of money there, but it might be happy. I remember right. there was a conversation with my family when I finally decided when they all realized I was going to be an entrepreneur or just do something very different than all of them. That I was told specifically that well, you're supposed to be unhappy doing what you do at a job, and then you do what you're doing happy afterwards. 
Uh, I, I have to said. disagree with that, but <laughs> all right, Nick, we're coming up on a break here, Nick. We're going to, where you've been listening to my master your finances. Uh, we'll be right back in a few minutes. Oh, sorry, Kurt. I didn't see the, no, no problem. No, we were running a little over. Right. Sorry. No it's fine. This one will be brief. Yeah. Uh, no biggie. Yeah. But I want you to finish the thought. I just wanted to give you more time. Yeah. That thought is, <laughs> it's, it's funny. I was told that, uh, I was told that. And I, I learned actually when I, to listen a lot more, because no one wanted to hear what I had to say in 2019. I just listened. And it's funny what people tell you. And sometimes it's just, it's just rooted in their own insecurities and their own fears. Right. Yeah. Sure. But yeah, going, sitting at a desk, no way. And I can tell you, Kurt, mm-hmm. now that I, I, I earn money, I'm working on time. It, it, it appalls me how many people walked into my office over my career and said they were worth more money. When they only work three hours a day, and BS <laughs> and BS five hours of the day. Yeah, there I, are a lot of those out there, aren't there? I mean, I'd love to go back and <laughs> as a different person and say, "No, are you kidding me? No, what we're going to do is we're going to pay you the same amount of money, but you only have to be here four hours a week or four hours a day, because and and still give us the same output." Okay, but but we used to drive my wife. My wife used to work in Merrill Lynch for thirteen years, so it used mm-hmm. to drive her bananas because she was middle managed, middle upper type management. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she'd have people that literally would BS all day and they would start to work at five o'clock and stay till nine. So the supervisors would see them see in them, the yeah. building yeah, eight o'clock office. at night, but they did absolutely nothing yeah. the whole, the whole day. They did yep. zero and it used mm-hmm. to just drive for bananas. Yeah, it's all optics. <laughs> oh, that's it's what all about- was here at eight o'clock last night. Well, yeah, but they did nothing. All day. <laughs> and we'll talk, we'll talk more in this segment about optics. It's really about optics. Yeah. Yeah. All and right. I don't know if you want to speak to a little bit about what's going on now. Yeah, I will. I will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think those two would be great. Well, I'll, then, talk uh, about, I'll talk about the business I'm working at with right now and then my business. Yeah. In turn. Yeah. Finish up your, your thought. Absolutely. Well, what if you spoke about a little bit about how, like what you do is affected by the, the pandemic? Sure. Like that? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how I've addressed it and how I'm, I'm finding ways to cope. Yep. All right. All right. So in three, two, one. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finance. I am Kurt Bake here with Nick uh, Goblish. And uh, Nick, you're telling us a great story. Uh, you're uh, working on a project right now, and you want to tell us a little bit more about that? So uh, with everything that's going on and, and thinking that I never knew my business would take off, it eventually did with everything, all the content I put out and how I, I, I market my business that once the the pandemic really hit and people started realizing that we're going to start living differently it's a, it's weird how even though people reacted to me when i was deciding to be an entrepreneur and a lot of it had been been based on their own fears where they'll tell me you're not going to be happy doing what you do and it's be and i that just stemmed from them being unhappy and or them telling me that you're supposed to be unhappy well no i'm happy and i'm just going to do what i want to do because year decades i always did what i thought people wanted me to do and i don't want it that's not the way my life is going to be for the next umpteenth years until i uh i pass on and leave my legacy truly leave my legacy behind so uh, i recall uh, probably about a month and a half ago my wife wakes me up kurt she says nick you got to get up you should probably go out and buy all the paint you need and i said well why do i have to do that she said, well, I just saw this thing that they may shut down all the paint stores. And I said, I don't think they're going to do that. They can still sell paint. People need paint. Things are being painted. 
and I, I, I buy all my paint from a specific retailer that does curbside pickup and I could go online and order my paint. So their business model is perfect. I don't need to go into the store anytime. They'll even deliver mm. my paint at my house. So it got me thinking about, wow, this is cool. Like, look at that. My supply stream or my, my <clears throat> supply chain is not going to be interrupted by any of this because they've already come up with a way to adapt to this. And as things started really changing and businesses started shutting their doors, especially service-based businesses and restaurants and things like that, I started getting a little concerned, but then realizing that my phone wasn't stopping ringing. It was still ringing. People were still reaching out to me. I still had jobs in the pipeline and they hadn't reached out to me and said that we don't want you in our home. I think I'm at an advantage because I put myself out there. People see me, they see where I work. They know my family, they know who I am. And I think a lot of it is a level of trust. Someone called me yesterday and simply said, I know this person that could come in and do this job, but we'd rather hire you because we know you. And I think the recession taught a lot of companies that in order to stay relevant and bring back those customers, you better up, up your game in regards to customer loyalty and customer service. Because if I'm going to choose between two restaurants, even though they sell the same food, I'm going to go to some place that treats me way better, way, way better. And I think with this crisis, it's really going to teach people, and it's already teaching me that in, in order to stay productive and, and stay profitable as much as you can during this time and even as it passes, is you have to stay relevant. If just And, and I say relevant is, is there's, this is a lot of time for people to think. We have people that are home right now, even thinking about their own careers, right? People that are thinking and going, hey, um, wow, it's so much better. Just like I did on a, when I was on this Alaskan cruise, Kurt, someone's sitting in their living room right now going, all right, school works over for the kids. And now we can just hang out, watch Netflix. This is time I've never done before. I don't have to sit in a boardroom all day. I can do my, most of my job virtually, which that's going to change, really, uh, an environment like that, how virtual people can communicate now. But people are going to definitely come out of this looking at the world different. I just think that that I'm in a lucky place because even though I didn't have to go out and buy all my paint, I'm still being taken care of by that paint retailer that's that knows me by name and gives me what I need when I need it. I still communicate just like I did. I, I drafted an email communication and a text communication in order to get people to know what I did to prevent me bringing anything into their home. I wear a respirator most of the day. I put rubber gloves on the moment I get out of the car and don't take them off until the moment I leave. I make sure I don't come within a huge distance from anyone that's there. But the lucky thing about being me, Kurt, as a solopreneur painter is I usually paint by myself. I'm painting a lot of empty spaces. I'm painting new homes. I'm painting houses that are about to be sold. I'm waiting for an estimate to come into a house that's going to be rented. It's not, and the owners are in Florida. So I, I, I don't know. My accountant told me that I probably found a, a career that's now recession-proof. There is a part of me that is guilty because most of my closest friends are struggling, but yet I'm not. I wish I could do more for them. There is part of me that says, when's that shoe going to drop? But that's just another way of me self-sabotaging and doing that. So I think now, as long as I continue to communicate and show where I'm working, I think my phone will, will, will ring. But also because I'm out there, again, building on all that branding, I'm not just some random, I'm a very, very different type of tradesman. 
because I'm more of, they're hiring me, they're not just hiring. It's like sales, they're, they're buying me, they're not buying what I'm selling. What I'm selling is just paint. I mean, I'm gonna leave this call, Kurt, and I'm gonna go back to work at this restaurant and, and paint, and it's interesting, there's still, the restaurant I'm working at is a local restaurant, they're still doing takeout, still trying to stay busy, but uh, I'm working closely with one of the, the brothers of the owners that we're trying to, we're brainstorming. I'm not just painting. I get to think, how can we make this place look 10 times better when the doors open again? How do we upgrade this? How do we do that? It's really engaging. It's not just, it's a uh, lot of fun. Are they having it? Because we just got these new guidelines. That I'm just kind of curious if the restaurants are talking about, like when restaurants reopen, yep. you know, we may have to have, you know, the social distancing and guidelines may change. Like the seating capacity may yep. be altered based on you can't put them whatever two or three feet apart. They might need to be six feet apart. Or, or I don't, you know, I don't know if they've actually defined that quite yet. Exactly what that means, but it mm-hmm. sounds like when they do allow the these restaurants to open up their dining rooms, that may look differently. So, have, have they had these conversations? Any of the, re- the restaurants that you've been talking to? Yeah. So, for us, how to re- maybe make some adjustments. Mm-hmm. We just had it this morning. I think one of the brainstorms was, well, the weather is going to be nice out. Why not put two? Uh, they have tents they use for catering right out on their property, and put outdoor seating. They could, they could seat more people on site and to make up for the tables that aren't inside and give people a better opportunity to get some fresh air. And, and, but the trick is how you market it, really. How do, you, how do you make it look? I, I think people, the hard part, even going to the grocery store, Kurt, is you couldn't be more on point, almost like a dog that's alert because a squirrel is walking outside, my dog specifically. You're, you're saying things like, am I, am I standing too close to that person? Is my mask on properly? Do, how long is the wait going to be at line? Do they have what I'm looking for? It's things you never thought about thinking about. It's, it's, I think it's something that, that we're going to have to work really hard to get past. But I think people yearn for interaction. I think it's, I'm, I can't wait till I could just go to the coffee shop and order a coffee, a cup of coffee. I think that's something that I'm very, very much looking forward to. Very, very much looking forward to. But people are just going to make, they're going to have to make do. They're going to have to adapt. We, my message when I started painting, it may be very different than now. My business, how it looked a year ago, is looks different now. I think we all have to adapt and overcome. We'll figure it out, Kurt. We'll figure it out. Well, that's great. I mean, yeah. So um, so what other businesses have you seen that have been like taking advantage of the shutdown? I guess the, uh, the real estate market is one of the ones that I think is interesting because I know some of the realtors are telling me they're not allowed to like show the houses right now. And mm-hmm. um, But I do have people under contract and they're, I, mean, I deal with people that are buying homes as well. And, and it's uh, it hasn't really slowed down as much as I thought it would, although it has slowed down some because some people don't want to go out and look for the houses. Any of the realtors giving you feedback on what they're seeing out there right now? Well, I painted someone's house that just moved. I painted their house before they moved and then painted their new home. And they closed on schedule. They actually accelerated their scheduling date. But what they did was they had their meetings either virtually or between cars. So they sat in the parking lot and paper was passed back and forth. Mm -hmm. Any meetings that they had to do virtually. It's amazing when the whole, uh, what's that? Uh, Just the, the, the idea of invention about using technology to break obstacles and people are finding ways to do it. You don't see a lot of people throwing their arms in the air at this point, at least from the people I'm interacting with and saying it just can't be done because people want to continue to live. And yes, people want to buy a home. I did have one customer who I, their, their sale fell through, but it had a lot to do with what was happening in the home, I guess, pre-inspection versus actually something that had to do with realtors 
the individual I was mentioning before, the brother of the owners of the restaurant that I've been working with closely. No, he's, he's working. He's a real estate agent. He's working. He's in his office. People want to just hold on to as much as they can to live. And I, I enjoy seeing that. I, I, I want people to see that as I, as I paint. Even when I have challenges, I, I want to capture a lot of momentum because like the recession, a lot of people lost businesses because they didn't maintain some type of innovative momentum. And it's going to hurt. And I uh, hope this stimulus definitely moves that momentum in some way, shape, or form. But if you stop living, you, you die. And, and I think whether it be your business or your social life at home or time with your family, if you, don't, if you stop doing it, it's just not uh, – it'll end. It'll end. I, I agree 100%. Well, Nick, you <laughs> – this is an amazing journey, and I think you, I think you bring up a lot of very valid points that I've noticed. I mean, technology, some of the stuff that we, we, a lot of us have known about and maybe used a little bit, are kind of being forced into using it more and more. And I, I think a lot of us are being forced into an educational cycle where we may find ways to really do things better, only because we've been forced into it. And I think you're right; a lot of people are probably sitting at home wondering, "Hmm, what I'm doing for a living is this really what I like to do?" Because I kind of like what I'm doing now a little bit better. There's some positives being able to be around your family and so forth. Um, so I think a lot of us are, a lot of introspective things are going on right now. Um, and I, and I, I agree with you hundred percent. I'm a big believer in making sure you prioritize what you love to do over, you know, cause you, the money will follow. If you really enjoy what you're doing uh, and do it well. Uh, and you point out something I think is very critical, especially for um, people who are in the trades is you do have to have some type of managerial aspect to it. Um, you can be the best painter in the world, but if people don't, trust that you're going to show up on time and, and let them know what's going on. Um, that's what I've always found to be kind of a, a little bit of a frustration. Sometimes you find somebody's really good at what they do, but then when you're trying to schedule things, sometimes they're just not doing that part of it. So you sure. have to kind of, you have to, you have to kind of do a little bit of those things as well. Um, but you don't have to spend your whole life doing them. Um, and I think right now we've all are very appreciative of the people who are out there mowing the lawn and driving the trucks and, loading the groceries and all these, all these things that sometimes, um, you know, the rest of society, the white collar tends to look down on, which they really shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Do you have any last thoughts about uh, what we should be doing right now? Uh, Two things. One is if you're doing something now that you're unhappy doing, it's okay. If you choose to do something else, you'll be okay. Uh, the other piece is doing anything. If, if you think that pursuing a career where you get a steady paycheck is going to be easier than putting yourself out there and trying to start a business. Nope, it's both hard work, either way. I'd rather do hard work and be happy doing it than hard work and hating it, no matter where it is. And don't let fear, really, really don't let any personal fear keep you from doing what you love to do, no matter what, no matter what. If I, being able to celebrate a year anniversary and starting my business a year ago, I and, and reliving all those conversations that people would tell me, even people close to me saying, you sure you want to do this the rest of your life? The, the idea that I can, can do it, I can do it now and people know me, Kurt. People know who I am. They speak about my business. They speak about me just because I didn't stop. So I didn't let fear stop me. And, and I don't. Well, that's excellent, Nick. You, you've done an amazing job. And I'm, I'm very happy to see that you're, you're happy in what you're doing and you're, and you're basically going after your passion. And I think that is amazing. Um, thanks very much for sharing some time with us today. Uh, you've been listening to um, Master Your Finances. Um, again, I'm Kurt Baker. We can be reached through the website where you can listen to the podcast at masteryourfinances.us. 
And remember, together, we can master your finances. You can enjoy financial peace of mind. Okay, we're done. Good, Taylor. Did you hear my dogs barking out there? Totally heard your dogs barking, Kurt. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I'm gonna press stop recording. Oh, how bad was it? Could you really hear him? Yeah, we can hear him. Oh yeah, it's no, quite clear. It's <laughs> it, was right. like, it was like background what? noise though. Jimmy Kimmel's dog the... probably barks. While I actually he's on tried here. to turn it off at one point. I'm not sure I had a mute on here. I was trying to figure out how to mute. How do you mute here? Oh wait, here we go. Shit, there it is. Crap. All I had to do was like throw my my thing down and it popped up. There was a menu on the bottom. I didn't realize it was gone before. Oh shit, that would have been easy. Yeah.